Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 1. We're going to be picking up in our sermon series in John, and it's my full intention to press in through John, to crawl through John over the next several weeks, maybe months. And as I began to look at some of John, I realized it would be really, really helpful to us uh, to have some background information. So the Bible wasn't written specifically to Americans in 2022, right? Now, is it for Americans in 2022? Absolutely. It is for us, but it wasn't written specifically to us. And what I mean by that, there's a lot of things, um, there's a lot of things that, that we don't know that the people who read this originally do know. I'm reminded of a, uh, think, things apply in, in culture and context. I'm reminded of a missionary who went to Russia and he began to speak through a translator and he got up and said, I'm just tickled to death to be here. And the translator looked at him very confused, then looked at the crowd and translated, scratch me till I die. <laughs> so depending on the culture and the context, things have different meanings, correct? And as I was reading through John, I realized there's a lot of things in John uh, that only make sense if you understand the context. And I look around this room, and I realize in this room this morning, we have people with varying degrees of biblical knowledge. And so what I've done right here is I've made a super simplified Old Testament survey. And what I mean by that is your Bible, most of this part of your Bible is the Old Testament. And this little thin part towards the back, we call that the New Testament. And this little sheet right here is a summary of the Old Testament. And we're going to go through it real quick. And that's going to help us as we dive further uh, into John. Now, this little map is not to scale. It's kind of cartoony and blown out of proportion. Um, and it's an oversimplification. So some of you who are deeper theologians, you're all right. Um, we're going to be okay. But let me, let me draw a few things here to help you out. First of all, you might have heard of the Mediterranean Sea. That's that body of water there on the left, just so you know. Uh, down here below the Mediterranean Sea, we have this place called Egypt and the Nile. See the Nile River there? You probably learned about that in school. Um, over here, we have the Red Sea. There it is. Uh, there's some more different oceans and things and whatnot. You've probably heard of the Dead Sea. That's that place where you can go and get in the water and you just float because there's so much salt in it, and that's crazy. And there's the Jordan River. There's the Sea of Galilee, and there's all this other stuff. There's a lot of desert and sand and wilderness. And you guys know Egypt. It's only really green right up around the river and stuff, right? And so this area right here is the area we're going to talk about. It's right here, kind of between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River, and, and kind of out a little bit from that, but mostly right here, this is what we're going to call the promised land. It's where present-day Israel is, all right? So if you're looking at a map, there it is. Now, there was a guy named Abraham. Now, we don't have Sunday school in a lot of churches anymore, but when I was a kid, we had Sunday school, and, and we sang this song about Abraham. He was Father Abraham, and he had many sons, and many sons did have Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you, so let's just praise the Lord right arm. Some of the young kids are like, I don't understand what's happening right now. It's all right. 
We do. All right. And in Genesis chapter 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham. Say covenant. What does that word mean? It means a promise. Say covenant. It means a promise. Kind of like I just said, I'm going to be getting married here in a little while, and we're going to make a covenant or a promise to stay married. And so God makes a covenant with Abraham. It's a little bit of a catch there because God doesn't actually make the covenant with Abraham. He actually makes the covenant with himself. He makes the promise with himself. And that matters. Because when I make a covenant with someone, if they break their end of the covenant, then there's consequences to that. The reason it's important that God made the covenant with himself is that now God, he's not going to break his own promise to himself. Abraham, he's going to get squirrely. He's going to do some really dumb stuff. He's going to do some really great stuff too. One of the things that he does is God says, Abraham, this is what I want you to do. I want you to leave your homeland, which is way over here on the map. I want you to leave your homeland, leave everything you know, and move to the land that I will show you, which is the promised land. And then he says this, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you lots of kids, and the whole world is going to be blessed because of you and your offspring. Now, this is a foreshadowing of Jesus because today the whole world is blessed because Jesus comes through Abraham's offspring. So this is what we call the Abrahamic covenant, if you will. And you can find this if you want to read it. And I love it because he actually takes them out and says, look at the stars. Your kids are going to be like the stars. Look at the sand. It's going to be like the sand. You're going to have so many children. And it wasn't just physical children that he passed his DNA to, it's actually spiritual offspring. And so when we sing that song, Father Abraham had many sons, I am one of them and so are you, it's not because I'm physically a son of Abraham, it's I'm a spiritual son. You're a spiritual daughter, right? So this is Abraham. And they come to the land of Israel, and they don't stay there terribly long because there's a famine. And him, and he, there's, there's a kid, and there's more kids, we're skipping over a lot. But basically, there comes to a time where there's 12 sons, not of Abraham. It's like his great-grandkids or whatever. And they moved to Egypt because they ran out of food here because there was a famine, whatever. So these 12 sons, they all move there. And they're in Egypt for like 400 years. And there, those 12 sons turn into 12 tribes. Like, think about states, right? There's Arkansas, there's Oklahoma, there's Missouri, right? States, if you will, right? And while they're there... This, this, these Israelites, and the reason they're called Israelites is because one of Abraham's kids is named Israel. These are God's chosen people. Now, this is why it's important. All of this, why it's all important is God has decided to reveal himself to humanity. God says, I want to show the world who I am. But he has to do it somehow. He has to choose someone to show himself to the world to. So what he does is he chooses Abraham and Abraham's descendants to reveal himself to the world to. And we call these people God's chosen people. There's other names for him. They're, they're, the, they're the Hebrew race. They're called the Hebrews or the Israelites. Their religion is Jewish. They're the Jews. And so through these people, God is saying, I'm going to show myself to the world 
through this group of people, through these Hebrews, through these Israelites. And in these, uh, while they're in Egypt, they become slaves. Some of you know the story. And Moses then rises up as a leader, and he leads them out of Egypt. And where are they supposed to be? Are they supposed to be in Egypt? No, they're supposed to be back in the, the promised land. And what we're going to find out is, even to this day, this land is always in turmoil, it seems like. So they leave, and now instead of 12 sons going into Egypt, there's 12 tribes coming out of Egypt, millions of people. And they cross the Red Sea, and they get to a place called Mount Sinai. And here, there's a new covenant made. Now, we saw the Abrahamic covenant, or the Abraham's promise. Now, God's making a promise with Moses. And it goes like this. If you'll follow all of these laws, I'm going to bless the Israelites. I'm going to bless the Hebrew people. But if you break them, you're not going to be blessed. In fact, you're going to have lots of problems. And you can see this in Exodus chapters 19 through 24. And Moses goes down to the people, and, and on that mountain, it's crazy. There's thunder and lightning everything else. And Israelites are freaking out because they see all of it. And they're like, what is this God? And he seems kind of crazy. And so they come up with a way to meet with God. They come, this little tent called the tabernacle. It's like a meeting place with God. And these people, they have these laws. They start off with the Ten Commandments. How many have ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Right? How great are they at keeping the Ten Commandments? They're the worst. In fact, Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, one of which is don't have any idols. And as he comes down, they're worshiping a cow. A golden cow. And they're all doing their thing, worshiping the cow, and they see Moses, and they're like, uh, we, we thought you had died or something maybe, so we worshiped a cow. We didn't know what to do. And Moses is mad, right? He breaks them. He has to go back up and get more off the mountain, right? Um, it, it's, 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 it's crazy. So there's laws, and then they break them. So there's more laws, and they break them. You can see my sad faces. And then there's more laws, and they break them. There's in total 613 laws they have to keep. Now, what if we were a religion where we had to keep 613 laws? Some of them are really tough, too. And there's still some Jewish people who try to keep these laws today. So the tabernacles where God would meet with the people, it was this tent place. And one of the tribes was in charge of the tent, and they were called the Levites, and they would be, there would be priests, and one of the things they would do is have a sacrifice. Now, how many have ever gotten in trouble for speeding before? Anybody? We're in church. You're not supposed to lie in church. I've never understood that expression, like, oh, we're in church. Don't lie. I'm like, so just in church we don't lie, or never understood that one. Um, You've got a speeding ticket, right? You committed a crime, so then what do you have to do? You have to go, and you have to pay for that crime. You have to pay a ticket. Because, and the worst thing it is, like the worst thing that you do, the worst violation, the bigger the fine. 
why do we do that in society? Why do we have bigger fines for worse crimes? To be a deterrent, like, like look, we want you to understand how severe this crime is. And in case you don't understand, like, if you do this crime, it's a fine. But if you do this crime, you're going to jail. And if you do this crime, like, there's different levels. And the Lord wanted us to understand how bad our sin was. So what we'd have them do is to get their best lamb and bring it to the priests, and it would be sacrificed. Why? So you would understand just how bad your sin is. And that's the way you got forgiveness of sins with these lambs. Had the lamb done anything wrong? Nope. It was their best lamb. They bring their best lamb to have it sacrificed. So then the people uh, decided to go into the promised land. And that's a lot of story there we're skipping over. Uh, Fast forward, and they come to David. And I actually want to turn to this scripture right here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David was a king. Say King David. You might know King David as the one who killed Goliath when he was just a boy. Anyone know that story? Yeah, before that, oh, King David had been anointed king. Now, this was something they did a lot back then. Hey, Malachi, come here. I want to show you guys something. Oh, yeah. Let's have some fun. So, when they wanted to set someone apart and say, you know what, we want you to be king, they would do this thing called anointing him, where they literally take some oil and they would, they would, I didn't ask your mom permission, but they would pour it out on his head. Thank you. The mom shows up with the baby wipes. Thanks, mom. But you're going to have to just suffer. All right. No, stay here. Stay here. Now, actually, I probably should have been a little more drastic with it. Now, I don't know if you've ever had this done to you in a service or anything like that, but this stuff will literally be, if it doesn't wash out, it'll just literally leak down over him over the entire course of service and day if he doesn't wash it out. But what else will happen? As you're around him, you'll smell it, right? As you're close to him, there's a smell that's different than when you're not around him. Now, you've got to understand, this is back, back then the entire world was basically a third world. People didn't take baths. Not often. And yet they would anoint these guys, and so over the next few days as you were around them, you would smell that oil. Something would be different about him. And this is what they did anytime someone was going to be a king or a prophet or a special position. They would anoint them and say, this person is now set aside for a special purpose. This happened to David. This happened to David. He had brothers, and they thought, oh, like, we got to find a king out of, out of David and his brothers. And they went through each one and said, oh, this guy, he looks like he'd be a king. No, he's, he looks like he'd be a great king. No, they went through every brother until they got to the youngest, David. And they're like, you know what? He's going to be king. 
yeah, yeah, it's not about what he looks like on the outside, but what he looks like on the inside. And so the prophet took the oil, poured it over David, and anointed him as king. Thank you, Malachi. You can go sit down now. Is that running down your back? So when someone became king, they were anointed. They were an anointed one. In the Bible, there's a term for the anointed one. A king above all kings. An anointed one above all anointed ones. And they had a term for this person. The Messiah or the Christ. And we'll talk about that more here in just a moment. David, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, let's look at verses 13. David, he was a, a good king for the most part. He was squirrely sometimes too. The Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. Wouldn't you love to be called that? A person after God's own heart. And in verse 13, God is making a promise to David, a Davidic covenant, if you will. It says that he shall build a house for my name. Talking about a descendant of David. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will become to him a father and he shall become or he shall become to me a son. So he's saying two things here. He's saying, David, you will have a, a son, a descendant, and his throne will last forever, which is amazing because back in that day, a king would rise to power, and then another kingdom would come and take him over, and then that king would be in control, and then another kingdom would come and take it over. And it was, But he's telling David, David, I'm going to make you a promise. You're going to have a son, and he's, his kingdom will last forever. His throne will always stand. And not only this, David, not will he just be a king. I'm going to look at him, and he's going to be my son, and I will be his father. And so this became not just any king. This was a special king. And, and, and God wasn't just talking about David's actual natural son. He was talking about a coming Messiah, a Christ, a coming anointed one. That was more special than any other person. Now, we know this person today is Jesus. This is Jesus he's talking about. But we come up with a couple special names here. One is the king of Israel. The king of the Jews. That in the Bible, when it talks about the king of Israel, the king of the Jews, they're not just talking about someone who happens to sit on the throne. This is a special title reserved for the Messiah, the special anointed one, not just some anointed king, but the special one anointed king, a hero of heroes. And we're going to find out why this is important here in a little bit. And this other title, Son of God. Now, y'all, I know we're all sons of God. I get it. But when you're reading portions of Scripture, sometimes when it talks about sons of God, it's talking about all of us. But there's sometimes when it says son of God, it's actually talking about Jesus, the anointed king, the special king. Does that make sense to you guys this morning? This is all stuff we need to know to get into John here in just a minute. So this is kind of where we are with David. Now, over the next several hundred years, this is what's going to happen. You ready? The Jewish people, the Israelites... They're going to serve the Lord, and God's going to bless them. 
And then they're going to turn their backs on the Lord. And they're going to be sent into exile. So they're going to get sh pushed out of the land. And then they're going to remember the Lord and they're going to come back to the promised land. And then they're going to turn their backs on the Lord and they're going to go out of the land. Like armies will come in and drag them away. And then they'll return to the Lord and they come back to the. And it, this happens over and over again. It sounds a lot like your spiritual walk, doesn't it? There's seasons of your life where you're pursuing the Lord with everything you have and you feel the blessing of the Lord. And then you're like, yeah, I'm good. Jesus, I don't really need you right now. And then you don't feel him so close anymore. Anybody ever been there? And what plays out next is the prophets say prophets. And there's a whole lot to go in prophets. We're going to keep it real simple today. There's lots and lots and lots of prophets. I've only listed three. But these prophets keep declaring messages like, return to the Lord, or you're going to be drugged into exile. You're going to be kicked out of the land. And sometimes the people listen, and sometimes they don't. And when they don't listen, they get drugged out of the land. And then while they're out of the land, they'll be in exile. They'll be living in some foreign country. And a prophet will be in that foreign country with them. And he'll say, if we will return to the Lord, we'll get to go back home. And they'll return to the Lord, and they'll get to go back home. And this, is, this happens over and over again. There's a few I want to point out. The first is Daniel. Daniel's living in exile. He's living in a foreign country. He doesn't get to live in the promised land. And while he's there, he has this dream about these four beasts. Have you ever had a nightmare? Yeah? In this dream, there's these four beasts. And this is an oversimplification of the dream. But basically, these beasts are evil. They're sin. And they're taking over the world. How many know sin is beating up our world even today? And in the dream, there's one hero that rises up that conquers the beasts and conquers the sin. Now, it sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? But Daniel doesn't call him Jesus because he doesn't know the name of Jesus yet. He calls him the Son of Man. Now, I know, Cricket, you're a son of a man, right? We're all sons of men. But this is a special title. And you've probably, have, you've probably read this before in the New Testament, like the Son of Man. I wonder, like, aren't we all the Son of a Man? This was a special title reserved for the coming hero, the coming Messiah, the coming Christ, the coming anointed one who will conquer everyone. Because here's the problem. If you keep getting conquered by other armies over and over and over again, you know what you really need? A hero who will keep that from happening. Does it make sense? If you keep having kings come over and take over your land, wouldn't it be nice to have a king who could never be conquered? Wouldn't it be nice to have a king who could defeat every beast that ever rose up again? Wouldn't it be nice to have a, a Savior, a Messiah, a Christ, an anointed one, that no matter what happened, he'd be in control? And so the Jewish people were waiting for this coming Messiah. They were waiting for this coming king. And Daniel called him the Son of Man, the one that defeats the beasts. 
His name is the Son of Man. And so that's the way that the Jewish people refer to him sometimes, is the Son of Man is coming. The Messiah is coming. The Christ is, is coming. There's another prophet named Elijah. Elijah was so close to God that he never died. He was so close to God that God actually said, I'll tell you what, we're going to go. I want you to meet me at this one place, and I'm just going to send a chariot of fire to come and whoo, take you to heaven. And that's what happened. So he never died. And so the Jewish people began to tell the story that when the Messiah comes, Elijah's going to come back first and tell us the Messiah's about to come. The special anointed one, the hero's about to come. That Elijah, since he never died, he's probably coming back. And he's going to say, here comes the Christ. Here comes the Messiah. When we turn to John chapter 1, go back to John chapter 1. I know that was a lot. Does, it, does my map make sense at all? Do you, do you feel like you know a little bit about the Bible now? Um, the only thing I wish I'd read, wrote on there is the Christ. You can write it on yourself. Christ, Messiah, anointed one. Right? Because they're waiting for a special anointed one. When we turn to John, what's happened now is that the Romans have taken over Israel. Once again, an invading army has come and taken over. So guess what the people are looking for? They're looking for the anointed one. They're looking for the Christ, the Messiah, to come and save them from the Romans. They think the Romans are the problem. So now the Romans have taken over the, the promised land. And there's a couple more notes real quick I'll, I'll dive into and then I'll get off this map completely. You see there it says Sadducees and Pharisees next to the temple. These were religious leaders of their day. Right? Obviously, there were the Levites and the priests who were taking care of the new temple there in Jerusalem. But then you'd have the Sadducees. These were rich dudes. These were rich dudes that hung out in the temple all the time. Their religion was based on the temple. So when the temple gets destroyed, guess what happens to their part of the religion? It goes away. But the Pharisees, these were also religious leaders. They really liked traditions. They really liked teaching traditions and teaching the law, and, and they weren't so tied to the temple as much. And so whenever the temple gets destroyed, the Pharisees actually lived on. These were the religious leaders of the day. So we look here in John chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 19. Uh, and I want to distinguish a couple of things. The person writing this is John the Evangelist. We're going to say John the Evangelist. He hung out with Jesus. John the Evangelist is about to tell us the story about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, say John the Baptist, was Jesus' cousin. Both their names were John John was a popular, popular name back then, just like it is kind of a popular name today. Verse 19, and this is the testimony of John when the Jews 
sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? So here's John the Baptist. We found out last week or a couple weeks ago that he's, he's going to be baptizing people. Now, this is an issue. Why don't the, the Levites and priests like him baptizing people? Well, because if someone wasn't a Jew and they decided to become a Jew, they put them through a cleaning ritual. But here's John, and he's baptizing Jews. They were already supposed to be clean because they were Jewish. And so they're like, why is he baptizing him? Why is he baptizing people? So they go and they say, who are you? Say, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. What is he saying? He goes, I am not the anointed one. I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Savior. And they ask him, what then? Are you Elijah? Why did they ask that? Because Elijah was supposed to come just before Christ did. Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah has said. Now, if you haven't guessed, there's a theme amongst the prophets over and over again. All of them are saying the Savior is coming, the Christ is coming. And Isaiah was no exception. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40, I'd like us to look at this. In Isaiah chapter 40, this is the actual passage that he's quoting. In verse We'll start in verse 1. It says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended. How many of you experienced warfare in your life? And here the God of the universe is telling Jerusalem, he's like, look, the warfare has ended. I'm going to speak tenderly to you. That her iniquity or sin is pardoned. That she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. And uneven ground shall become level and rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What is it saying? What is he quoting? He's saying the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and everyone's going to see it. He's the voice crying in the wilderness, and John lived in the wilderness. John, he, he, he ate bugs and honey. When he was hairy, and he was gross. And he's in the wilderness and he's crying, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. Make straight the paths. Everyone's about to see him. And so even though he said himself, I am not Elijah, if you research other places in Scripture, 
It actually tells us that even though John the Baptist wasn't Elijah himself, Scripture tells us he came in the spirit of Elijah. So the Scripture is true when saying Elijah would come before the Christ, even though John the Baptist wasn't Elijah himself, he came in the spirit of Elijah saying that the Christ is coming. The Christ is coming. Verse 24. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. Now remember, the Pharisees were these religious guys who felt like they knew exactly everything there was to know. They thought they were a big deal. And they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, and John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And so here's John, and he's standing there, and he's saying, the Messiah is coming, and you guys think I think I'm something, but can I tell you something? I'm nothing. In fact, he'll say later on, I have to decrease so that he can increase, which is such an opposite thing to what we want so much in our lives. We love to be noticed. We love people to give us the attention. I've seen pastors, their, their main goal is to grow their ministry and grow their image and grow the popularity of their church. Foreigner House of Prayer, our goal is not to make Forerunner House of Prayer, famous in our community. Our goal is to make Jesus famous in our community. That Just like John says, we have to decrease so that Jesus can increase among us. We aren't even worthy to untie Jesus' sandals. He is so great and he is so mighty and he is so good. Verse 29 goes on to say, the next day, you guys still with me? The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him. And this is what he said. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is a lamb of God? It's a sacrifice. It's a sacrifice for sin. And the Bible doesn't say this, but I can only imagine that as Jesus was walking up and saw John, and John saw him, and he declares, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus understands what John means, that someday he's going to die on the cross. Can I tell you, the book of John opens with the cross. It opens with the declaration that this man, Jesus, will die, and he will die like a lamb for the sins of his people. Behold the Lamb of God. The sacrifice can only imagine that, as he said it, that Jesus, maybe his heart came up in his throat as he realized again that he will have to die someday. And some of you think, no, Jesus, he had it. I'm telling you, Jesus was just as human as you and me. We talked about it two weeks ago, and if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that scripture. Jesus was fully God. But can I tell you this morning, he was also fully man. How can you be 100% of both? He's God. I don't know. 
But I can only think as he was reminded that someday, Jesus, you will die on the cross as a lamb for your people that maybe his throat caught. And John goes on to say, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him. But for his purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. And, and, and let me pause there. Is, is John's whole purpose is to reveal Jesus. John's whole purpose is to make sure Jesus doesn't say secret. If that was the purpose of John the Baptist, I guess we're all Baptists this morning as well. Correct? Because our whole purpose is to make Jesus known, to say, oh, look, there's Jesus. That's the reason we give testimonies, right? To say, not to say, oh, look how great this situation is, but to say, hey, look, there's Jesus in that situation. Look, here's Jesus, and I'm so thankful to our church that over the last several months, as more and more got out of the building, began telling people about the goodness of our Lord. And we're beginning to have testimony after testimony. What's happening is we're sharing the goodness of Jesus. The enemy doesn't like it. And John, he's going to tell a story of something that's told in the other Gospels in detail. He's having a flashback here in verse 32. Of the time he baptized Jesus. And he's telling the people around him about it. He says he bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove. And it remained on him. I myself did not know him. But he who sent me to baptize with water said to me. He on whom you see the spirit descend and remain. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. Which Son of God? The Son of God prophesied in 2 Samuel. The Son of God, the King of Israel. That's what John is saying. He, some people say, well, no, Jesus never claimed to be all that. I'm telling you. Everyone around Jesus claimed all the time that this is the Son of Man, that this is the Son of God, that this is the King of Israel. And guess what? Jesus never corrected them. In fact, when Jesus was standing on trial, they said to him, Are you the King of the Jews? Are you this king prophesied about? And Jesus said, if you say so, if that's what you're saying. Jesus, he, he wasn't just some special prophet. He wasn't just some random man who had good teachings. He was prophesied about by the prophets over and over again. A king is coming, a special king, 
an anointed one is coming, a Christ, a Messiah, who will save us. Now, at the time, the Jewish people had it wrong. They thought that he would save them from their political troubles. But that's not what we need saved from. Even today, what we don't, like, you don't need to be saved from political parties. That's not your problem. Well, I guess they kind of are our problem. That's not your trouble. Your trouble is your sin and your iniquity. Your trouble is just like the people of Israel who continually turn their hearts from the Lord. You turn your heart from God. And a sacrifice is demanded for your sin. A lamb has to die. But can I tell you, there is a lamb that takes away the sin of the world, and his name is Jesus. And when Jesus hung on the cross, he was a sinless lamb. He never committed one sin, not one time. And he hung on the cross as payment for our sins. Now, I'm getting ahead in the story, but is it okay if I ruin it for you? Because I think you already know, three days later, he raises from the dead. Because he is God in the flesh. And now he has victory over death, hell, and the grave. And today we worship him as the son of man that has defeated the beast. We worship him as the good king that sits on that throne forever. We worship him as the son of God, his only begotten son, who loved the world so much. Will you stand with me? And if you would just bow your head for a moment. And in the quiet of this moment, I want you to reflect on your heart. I want you to reflect on the heart of John the Baptist. Whose entire mission was to reveal Christ to the world. That even as people started to confuse him with something great, that maybe, maybe he's the one. Maybe, maybe there's something special about this John the Baptist guy. He actually had to say, no, I, I'm nothing great at all. In fact, the one that's coming, I, I'm not even worthy to unlace his sandals. That he must increase and I must decrease. In fact, what we'll see next week is some of John's very disciples that had been following him start leaving his ministry to go to Jesus's. And guess what? He's okay with that. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's something that's been declared in this house over and over again for the last couple of weeks. It's all about Jesus. So the question I want you to ask yourself is, is your life, is the mission and purpose of your life to reveal Jesus? Or do you sometimes get distracted Can we just reflect on that for just a moment?
the Lamb of God. Agnes Dei. There's a translation of the Bible, which I would say it's probably not really a translation. It's a very weak paraphrase. When it comes to this part of the story, John the Baptist exclaims, Look, here comes Jesus. Which is not what it says. There's so much meaning in, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's so much loaded in that statement, Lamb of God. But if we could side with those people for just a moment, that's the, that's the cry of our lives. Look, here comes Jesus. Look, here comes the one who will sacrifice everything for all of us. Look, here comes the one that will save us all. Look, here comes Jesus. I, I so agree with the word of the Lord today, Vanessa, that you had, that the Lord, he wants to recharge us, that he wants to refill us. There's been so much going on, and, and I'm going to say we want to take a moment and open up these altars, and if, if you need prayer, we're going we're gonna to agree with you in prayer. But can I tell you the best way to recharge those batteries is to look at Jesus. To look at Jesus. That as we set our mind on things above, if we fix our eyes on Him, this crazy thing happens where He guards our hearts and our minds, the Scripture tells us. Not by looking at the problem and the issue, but by looking at Jesus. It doesn't even make sense. You know what makes sense, Dylan? It makes more sense the more I worry about my job, the more I'll figure out something to fix the problem. That seems to make sense, maybe. But if I look to Jesus and he gives me peace, then he creates jobs that didn't even exist for me. We spend so much time looking at the problems and issues in our lives, but if we fix our eyes on Jesus, he gives us that peace, and we walk in it, and people look at us, and they say, I don't even understand what's happening right now to you. I'm like, it's Jesus. Look, it's Jesus. And we point other people's eyes to Jesus as well, and then peace just comes, even in the middle of the battle, the middle of the turmoil. And if you serve Jesus, life is great for you. Now, what happens to John the Baptist? He loses his head. He gets it chopped off. Because he was serving Jesus. You can do all the right things and still stuff's going to happen. But in the middle of it, in the middle of the turmoil, look. It's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. So I'm going to ask our elders and ministers to come down and, and join us in the front so that you have someone that if you feel comfortable with, come and, and pray with you. And we're just going to take a moment here and just minister to those in the congregation that that just need some ministry. What we're going to do is we're going to 
we're going to turn your eyes to Jesus. Again, and if you need to go, if you're in a hurry, you can feel free to slip out. We'll have a formal dismissal here in just a moment. But I'm going to invite you to come at this time if you need prayer. And if you're good, just begin to pray and intercede for these that are, that are coming up here. And uh, if you know of any issue, maybe there's people like, they're not going up there, and I know they need prayer, then you feel free just to walk over to them, put your hand on their shoulder, and you pray for them. And I know you need prayer. Let's just spend a couple moments here just in the presence of the Lord.